Before we officially start this episode of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast on the Ivy Sports Podcast Network, I want to remind everyone that this podcast is on the Ivy Sports Podcast feed. You can find that podcast network on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified of all podcasts from the IB Sports Network. We would also greatly appreciate if you would rate and review this network. Finally, you can follow IB Sports on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, as well as Facebook. The Facebook group has a premium membership that allows you to post without being approved by an admin. You can be commissioner for a day, levy fines, receive free gambling picks, and much, much more. And with that, the original Team Turnbuckle podcast duo is back. I am your host, Keith Fleming, with me for the first time in two weeks because he's the hardest working man in show business. Ron L. Tinsley. Ron L., what's going on, buddy? I'm doing well, Keith. How are you doing, my friend? I am not bad at all. Uh, I'm going to kind of just jump right in because I know we got a lot of stuff to get through. We're going to kind of go through just some of the bigger stories from this week, uh, and then actually go through the IB Sports Wrestling GOAT Tournament, which is, uh, I think, officially going to be down to the Final Four in just an hour or so. So uh, we're going to change up the format a little bit. I know normally we do off the top, and then we do the promo and match of the week and stuff. But this week, we're just going to basically do off the top where we're going to talk about all these things. But let's start right off with on SmackDown. Uh, It was actually a pretty good episode. But again, because we're going to get to so many things, I just want to talk about Bray Wyatt or The Fiend and how he seems to make everything so much interesting. For those who did not see, SmackDown ended with Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss in the ring, fresh off a loss. Alexa was trying to give, uh, you know, Nikki Cross some sympathy. She had just lost her match to Bailey. She got shoved down instead. And then the lights went off. We knew exactly where it was going from there. The Fiend showed up. And then I got to admit, kind of surprisingly, the Fiend like physically attacked uh, Alexa Bliss, which I couldn't remember the last time I saw something like that. Um, When the show ended, I was really shocked, really intrigued. Obviously, this opens up a lot of things. I don't know if this is just a way to play mind games with Braun because we know that they have this sort of, I guess, Kaibaf, you know, uh, love storyline where we both know they care about each other. A lot of people are obviously speculating between the fact that Alexa was Sister Abigail in the, uh, you know, the dream sequence in their cinematic match and the fact that she was rumored to be Uh, Sister Abigail, when she was first kind of introduced or or being talked about a lot, like, what did you think, A, about this closing segment? Did you like it? And where do you think it's going? I absolutely loved it in that it's uh, pushing all of what you had talked about with uh, Braun's old storyline. Seeing that they did have that little love angle, I, I really dug it where it's going i I don't know um i'm still kind of hoping for the fact that you know maybe bray does get you know quote unquote control of braun again and braun just kind of runs roughshod through uh you know smackdown for a little while and i i who knows maybe incorporating alexa bliss into that uh sister abigail role 
would be the way. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm just being a mark for enjoying that. But uh, that's kind of what I would like to see. Um, but no matter what, they definitely got me intrigued as to what's going on going forward, as long as Braun doesn't drop the title. I, I loved it. Um, I mean, the main thing I can say is it was more of a like a cliffhanger, you know, end to SmackDown, which, I mean, I don't even really see Raw's anymore with the cliffhangers. And, and that was when I first started really loving wrestling in the, you know, 90s and well, understanding it and loving it. I loved how they did that all the time where, you know, the show would go off the air and you'd immediately, you know, want to know more. And you could argue like the last time that I was kind of like, wow, at the end of an episode like this could go all the way back to maybe the CM Punk days, or maybe there was a few in the Daniel Bryan when he was making his run up to WrestleMania 30. But I just, this shows how badly SmackDown needs the Fiend and Bray Wyatt. You know, he's kind of reinserted himself. It's immediately became more interesting of a show. It's made Bray, or, uh, Braun Strowman more interesting as champion, who has really been struggling. And again, I'm not giving him a lot of grief because of everything going on. I mean, for a first-time champion, both him and Drew are in really difficult positions. But I'm, I'm just excited to see where this goes. However, I do think that there is no way The Fiend loses to Braun Strowman because you got to remember the last time the Fiend wrestled he lost it killed a lot of momentum so unless they go the you know the path that you're talking about I don't see any way if, if this is you know the SummerSlam title match that the Fiend loses to Braun Strowman no you're uh so let, let's move on to Raw because there was a bunch of stuff there how much did you follow Twitter and social media the day of Raw? Uh, I, again, and maybe I should finally join the Twitterverse. I'm not, so I don't. Um, so I imagine there must have been a lot of grumblings uh, beforehand. So, and definitely, right. yeah. So there was a couple of things that WWE tweeted out. One was that there was going to be a new faction uh, on Raw. The second and it was all through dirt sheets and rumors and stuff with Shane McMahon was going to be there. There was all kinds of wild speculations and rumors going on. I mean, I remember like actually being legit interested in seeing the start of raw more than anything, just because I had heard and read so much stuff throughout the day. Um, it starts, there was a weird segment right off the bat. Did you catch that with Apollo Crews where, you know, the power went out when he was doing his entrance? Yes. And we would see a lot yes. more stuff like that. We'll get to that in the next thing we're going to discuss. Um, but then I think it was the 9 o'clock hour, they show Shane McMahon. He's standing in kind of a dark, it almost looked like a old gymnasium or something. And there was a ring without ropes or, uh, you know, obviously uh, still posts, any of that stuff. And there was dancers and, and, you know, clad clothing, women dancers. And he didn't really say what it was going to be, but they would be back the next hour. Well, the next hour we found out it's sort of a, I guess, would you call it like a shoot style wrestling? Yeah, I guess. Um, more, uh, yeah. I would guess shoot style looked like a lot of people just, you know, calling each other out. So that's what we can go with. So they called it underground WWE. 
it started out, and forgive me because I've already forgot the first guy because I didn't know who he was. Who was the big guy that, that beat up the first few people? Honestly, I, I I don't even remember because I think I fast-forwarded because I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> no so, worries. So we'll is, ask Jason Gilmart, and I'm sure he will know who that guy is. It was this really big dude. He, he beat up the first, like, three or four people. I got to tell you, like, the action shots and stuff they were doing was really smart because – especially when it would go to punches or elbows, you'd have a lot of quick camera cuts. So you, you couldn't tell what were they really punching, were they elbowing? I mean, they weren't. You could tell because otherwise some of those shots, guys would be like bleeding profusely. But it was it was shot really well. And then you had Dolph Ziggler getting there, which I thought was great with his wrestling background. And then what was really interesting was at the end of the show, you had the Hurt Business, right? Is that what they're calling themselves? The mm-hmm. Hurt Business, which yes, is a great sir. little faction. MVP, like Bobby Lashley, and Benjamin Shelton. They basically took over the underground, and that was kind of how it ended. And MVP, who has just been on a roll, gave this promo where he said, you know, the Hurt Business and the Hurt Business is good. And that was kind of how the show ended. Um, social media went nuts. Most people were making fun. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, most people were, were making fun of it before it even started either between the rumors that were going around or the promo, the ratings were up. I didn't hate it. I'm not one of these fans. that's going to immediately just crap on something. The second I see it, uh, it's something different. And I'm interested to see where it goes because they did bring WWE storylines into it by the end of it. And again, do I have the right in two, three weeks to say this is a complete and utter failure? Sure. But I'm not going to say that the very first weekend. So I think for the first week, the ratings were up. I was intrigued. They div- they actually moved a story along the line. I was okay with it. What did you think about it? Actually, after I had um, gone through the first segment, I did watch um, um, Eric from the Viking mm-hmm. Raiders as well as Dalt's uh, fights. And, and, of course, the way it ended. So with the way it ended as uh, MVP and the Hurt Business uh, just kind of took it over, at first, when I first was swishing it around, I was like, ill. And then I was like, wait a minute. This makes perfect sense, especially now that they've all uh, dropped their gold. They need something where they're still feeling like uh, they're in control and running something. And with the way that uh, they just kind of annihilated the the onlookers i'm interested at least enough to see how are they going to uh follow up part two with this and it makes sense right for bobby lashley with his background he's an mma guy it's another way to get him over i think they've done a really good job since we've had you know the covid shows with no crowd of they've done a better job of his character then than they did other than the leo rush run uh when he had a mouthpiece even though i know technically mvp is his mouthpiece now but Again, I'm just not going to crap on it right off the bat. And I, I, honestly, it's where I sometimes hate, whether it be smart marks, you want to call them IWC, you know, the wrestling mm-hmm. internet community. Mm-hmm. It's just like, guys, can we just allow something to play out before we just totally like dismiss it or hate on it? And what I also get a kick out of is, of course, AEW fans, you know, we're hating on it because it's WWE. And it's like if this would have been premiered in AEW, they would have been saying, give it a chance. And it's just sometimes I get so sick 
of you know the people that have right. followings and stuff on you know all social media platforms with wrestling because it's just like I don't know it's like their minds made up and it's like I see enough of that in politics and everyday life that it's like let's let's let it breathe for a minute let's let it see you're welcome to then say I told you so if you did say it was crappy but at least give it a chance right and just to to further your point about Lashley real quick yeah absolutely you on, um you're right about they have been keeping him relevant. They've been keeping him looking strong. I was completely, you know, we had spoke about, we were worried about Lashley getting buried again, but no, they're keeping him around and, and he's still quite the force. So, uh, you know, kudos to WWE for that. I think they understand what they have, the value of him, especially when it doesn't look like Brock Lesnar is going to be around at any point until there's a crowd. Right. We, we need some sort of monster. Kind of okay, so for people to look over. So shoulders. part B of sort of this storyline because it it involved throughout Raw and this I I I really honestly can't wait to see where it goes. They have a group called Retribution. They did some stuff throughout the show. You, you saw uh, like cuts with the the lights, the cameras, microphones shutting off. It happened to MVP a couple of times. Uh, getting cut away actually from an MVP uh, interview near the end uh, with the Hurt Business faction. They showed a group during the KO show. Yeah, that's right. During the KO show, they had a uh, a video that they showed of guys that looked like they were the ninjas. That was the one thing that kind of confused me because they were all in black, <laughs> you know, burning up some equipment uh, for the TV shows outside. And then they did say that they found out the name of it is Retribution. There's a lot of rumors going around, and again, this is dirt sheet, all that kind of stuff, that these are going to be some of the people that were let go during COVID time with potentially some people from NXT getting retribution for being let go. And it makes sense because they're attacking the production and that angle, and that's the start. It, it honestly does kind of harken back a little bit to the Nexus and the way that kind of started out, but that's okay. Again, I'm going to give it a chance. What do you heard or do you think this retribution group is? Um, the only thing that I'd seen in a couple of wrestling group uh, in a certain wrestling group was just a, a screenshot of a tweet uh, that the fact that since retribution has been introduced, people like um, Tommaso Ciampa and Dominic Dijakovic Ooh. have deactivated their Twitter accounts. So this could potentially be but an NXT angle, like invasion type deal, correct? It could be. It could be. But honestly, especially after I heard that, because at first you see the ninjas and it's like, wait, okay, so it's not the ninjas. All right. Okay. So let's get some unmasking. And I can't wait to see. And, you know, with a name like Retribution, uh, there could be a little NXT and, and possible uh, a cast off or two who's returning. And I'd be all for seeing some sort of uh, mini invasion as long as uh, we get some great character detail going on. And they better include a female this time. You know, you had people like Sarah Logan that was let go. I just hope that if they are going to do some kind of invasion angle, uh, let's get some of the ladies, uh, you know, into this because that's something that had always been lacking. Women's wrestling right now, I still say, is probably the best part about WWE on a weekend, week out basis, going for hell well over a year, um, they need to be sure to include that as well. Totally. 
All right, so one more thing on Raw, and then we'll move on to, honestly, NXT AEW was, was pretty exciting this week, too. So, <laughs> Sasha and Bailey have been sort of intertwined now with Asuka. Obviously, Oscar uh, lost the belt since we last talked. Uh, saving Carrie Sane, which I just thought was, I mean, just booked beautifully. It makes Asuka look like a really good baby face because obviously she was more concerned about her friend than she was her title. It, it, it does what you need to for Sasha because she wins the, you know, the belt in the most despicable way. Same thing for Bailey because she, you know, just hurt somebody basically to steal the title from Oscar. And then all of a sudden Shayna Baszler has been introduced and it looks like her and Oscar are going to feud and they're getting ready to come to blows. And then of course, you know, Bailey and Sasha, they can't help but to come out and gloat. They do, and then Sasha seemed to be setting up an Asuka versus Shayna match with the winner getting a shot at the title, and then she kind of throws her partner Bailey under the bus and says, if you can beat a former NXT champion, everybody's thinking, okay, it's Shayna, you know, my best friend Bailey, I'll give you the title shot, and the look on Bailey's face to me said it all. I love how they continue to sort of throw these little things in that you can just see the split coming. I mean, at this point, we all know it's coming. It's just a matter of when. And I love how they continue to kind of flip-flop on which of them is more arrogant, you know, more self-centered. And I just, again, want to tip my cap to both Bailey and Sasha because they are the most interesting storyline in WWE right now. Nope, you're absolutely right about that. Um, it was great that now the shoe is on the other mm-hmm. foot that uh, Sasha can throw Bailey into these kind of situations. So I absolutely love that they continue to just draw. Um, you know, you're you're totally right about you know the women's evolution and everything that these two women have meant. I'm happy that Shayna is starting to get her face back in. But I, I do love absolutely how um, Sasha put Asuka in this gauntlet. One more thing before we move on. How about the no-look punch that Shayna Baszler threw at Sasha? Mm. Did, you, did you get to see that, that backstage promo? I did. I did. And it almost sounded like it was a real one, too. I mean, it was really well done. And I love how Sasha was just like, oh <laughs> you know, after, after, you know, she picked her face off. Before. Bailey was pretty shocked, too. Like, her face was great, too, where she was just like, I know she's my best friend, but I don't want to get punched in the face. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like I, I want to swing but yeah that sounded like it hurt so i won't <laughs> exactly so uh let's move on to nxt there's only really i mean i know there's more stuff going on but for this week because we got several things at aw and i do want to do some of the ivy gut wrestler tournament the big storyline and we actually haven't talked about this since we've been together i don't even think i've talked about it on any of the podcasts the adam cole versus pat mcfay the former punter for the indiana colts he has a very kind of uh, big following on both social media. He has his own radio show. Uh, he's been on ESPN. He's been with WWE. He's been with a ton of people. But he had Adam Cole on his uh, radio show, I guess it was two or three weeks ago. And Pat was being just such a jerk. It was it was great. I mean, I could tell it was a work from the get-go. 
Adam Cole flipped out eventually, you know, threw down a microphone, told him to, you know, shut the fuck up. And, I mean, it, it really got physical. I loved how one of Pat's guys came over and put his arm on there and did the, you know, calm down, dude. This is so true. And, you know, a real fight type situation where it's like you don't ever put your hands on the guy that's, like, really pissed off because he just shoved his hands off and shoved them back. Mm. Uh, and what I got a kick out of was for almost a week people were arguing is it a work? Is it a shoot? And I'm like, guys, it's a work. It's like Pat worked for WWE. There's been seeds of this planted on WWE programming, whether it's it's been mostly stuff through the network and not actually, you know, on the weekly television. But these guys almost every time they've got together have had some words for each other. And then this week we knew it was because Pat showed up on NXT for the tag title match. Oh, it was so good. It ended with him and Adam Cole getting into it, Triple H, HBK, they're all there. I did miss how Adam Cole got pulled over the table, but he basically got into a position where Pat McFay just, I mean, kicked the crap out of him, basically punted Adam Cole. And again, this guy was a professional punter. B, the sound was fantastic on that mm -hmm. kick. I mean, I was like, oh, man, where'd he hit him? Uh, and of course, Adam Cole sold it like a champ. He was out cold. Triple H is just livid, you know, telling him to get the hell out of here. Pat's being the great heel, which I'm sure is a big wrestling fan. He's been like waiting for this moment his entire life, you know, just throwing his hands up in the air. And then the next day, Triple H went on, I believe it was the Pat McFay show and challenged Pat McFay to face Adam Cole at TakeOver. I'm all in for this. I know a lot of people don't like this kind of stuff. I don't get it. Like, this is going to get more attention for Adam Cole, and it already has it. anything he can do just in a regular NXT wrestling ring. And I'm actually pretty excited to see Adam Cole beat the shit out of Pat McFay. What do you think? Oh, man. I, like, when the interview first happened, and you, you shared it with me first before you posted it, and I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, for me, it didn't really move the needle that much until the, the you know, everybody started blowing up. You know, I would you know hear about what they were saying on Twitter, you know, what people were saying in our group, uh, in other wrestling groups. Like, everybody was talking about this. And so you're absolutely right in that this is absolutely great for business in that it won is drawing more eyes into it's got a bunch of us uh, talking and chattering away as to how it's going to happen. So um, shout out to Jason Haruki for uh, putting in that post is like saying that you don't understand how wrestling works. I, I think you're right, my friend. Um, no, on paper, it doesn't really sound like a lot, you know, but McAfee is an imposing figure when you look, when you put him next to Cole. So this isn't like going to be just a wash. And like you said, McAfee's probably been chomping at the bit for something like this. So yeah, this was absolutely excellent. And I can't wait to see Adam Cole just absolutely stomp a mud hole in this. So game. you mentioned somebody who made a post about this. I got to give a lot of credit to, I believe his name is Matt. And I'm going to probably butcher the last name. Bo Parlant, who has been giving oh, me grief yeah. uh, about the seatings, because for those that don't know, 
I ended up doing all the seedings for the, the tournament because we were trying to get it going. And it just, it was not working out with the committee or group that we were doing. And he came up and said, Nick, Nick Faye is about to be a seven seed next year on Keith Fleming's tournament. <laughs> I, I, I got to give props where props is. That made me laugh. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to get a game ball in the group from the man RC at some point this week. Absolutely. It was really well. It just was well done. I, I, I love it. Uh, and as I told him after I said well done, I was like, I can promise you I will not be uh, in charge of the seedings <laughs> next year because I can't wait just to bitch and moan uh, about all the seedings and, and where I would have had them. Uh, so let's move <laughs> on to AEW. You had a really good show. Like, And I've actually been talking down a little bit about AEW the last couple of weeks. I'm going to tell you, I, I didn't mm -hmm. think their shows were that great the last couple of weeks, and I was a little worried. Uh, they came back with a extremely strong show this week, so much to the point that I'm not even going to be able to talk about all the stuff that we probably should. But uh, I first want to start the Sammy Guerva and Matt Hardy feud is obviously off to the races do you ever remember a legit guy or like a legit busting open like what happened to Matt Hardy in the last like I don't know decade when he threw that chair into his face? I don't remember. Like I rewound that. I'm like, wait a minute. The that's, oh, that's real. Sound. Like, <laughs> like, like, and you could tell by the way Matt was pawing at his head. Like, yeah, oh, like shit. I, I'm gonna really need like a blood transfusion and some staples when this gets done. And oh man, it was so great! And the that one and a half cannonball that he landed on him through the table, absolutely scintillating! I was so excited about that. Sammy segment. is not listening and to the podcast because both of us have said, <laughs> "No, Dude, he is don't not." Kill yourself! Like that move was trying to kill himself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I mean. What, there's not. I mean, I can go on and on about his talent. He showed he's incredible. He's so gifted, and I, I he's just really way the the promo that Matt had spoken beforehand, basically talking exactly like he was talking directly to us fans about what am I doing here? All this, that, the third, what he has accomplished with you know who he's mentoring just to get attacked like it was a great it thing. was really good and sammy to his credit his social media game has improved i don't know if that's the Le champion uh rubbing off on him but for him to post the picture of his bloody shoes and shirt after that segment and basically said i did work tonight uh that was well done i saw that trending on twitter for a while so I'm actually now into this this feud, which I'm sure is going to be at the the next AEW pay per view. Uh, and I don't know, three weeks ago, I was against it. I do hope Matt Hardy's okay though, because in all seriousness, if you have not seen it, Google mm -hmm. it. Because oh my god, like just and it, it, you can tell it was a spot that Ow. went wrong because <laughs> the like third time I watched it, if you look at Sammy's face right after it hits, he kind of hesitates for a second. Because I think he's mm. thinking, oh, crap, I just killed, you know, like one of my heroes. Uh, so, but <laughs> it, it was it was really well done. So the next thing that was a really big surprise. Uh, first, I want to say you had Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho, the La Champion, had a debate that was really like uh, I thought really good for just the segment that it was. The shocking part was 
Eric Bischoff was the moderator. Like, what did you think when Eric Bischoff <laughs> showed up? I really had no idea. I'm like, what is going on? And, and it really had me interested as to how it was going to play out. But I, I love the fact that Eric was not there. to. He did his job. He didn't steal the show. Wasn't trying to steal the show. But got his perfect jabs in as well. And that's what I was going to say. Because at first, when I first saw that, I've been getting kind of frustrated with AEW lately. Because it just seems like... You know, you got former WWE champions at the world champion, their TV champion. Uh, they're bringing in a lot of these WWE guys. And I'm just like, what are y'all doing? Like, this has been done. I mean, hell, WWE did this after WCW. But I'm with you. Like, they used him correctly in this segment. I still don't think they needed him. And I worry that it took some of the attention away from Arn Cassidy and Jericho, I thought, did a, like, really good job with the promo work on both sides. Jack Hager, like, just beat the crap out of Orange Cassidy after it, which I also think that, as you know, I was kind of arguing with RC when he lost the first match. This is what they're doing. They're building it up to where Orange Cassidy doesn't have a chance in hell. They're going to have him on an official pay-per-view beat Chris Jericho. Like, this is where this is going. Because uh, I actually think he's going to lose again this week. Because uh, you know they have the yeah. match next week, and then I think they're going to have one final match at the pay per view. I think it's in September, and I think that's where he's going to go over. Is that kind of where you see it going, or do you think maybe he gets a win next that's, week? Yeah, that's no, no, that's exactly where it is. I, I think the surprise that we got is like Orange Cassidy actually does he can talk, talk <laughs> which I was which I was thrilled to see. Like I was just expecting it. Like I. <laughs> The first couple of questions, I was just like, oh, man, they're going to do this. And he's just like, what's going to happen? And then when he came out on that global warming right. thing with that, <laughs> like, with that Will Fell answer from old school, it was like, wait, what? Hold on. So it, so it definitely led the intrigue and the fact that it, it elicited such a response out of Jericho. Like, wait, oh, this, this dude actually... And the fact that he was like, you're coming out here to have a debate with a guy who doesn't talk. Exactly. Like, was so amazing to me. Just so amazing. And I thought it was really well done. And I was really happy that, you know, the only thing that really happened with uh, Bischoff, really, was just at the end. Right. So the fact that he wasn't there trying to upstage anyone or anything like that, I thought it was a really excellent, excellent. Debate. I will say, though, that it gives me the impression they're trying to troll WWE and AEW needs to quit worrying about WWE so much because I'm now starting to get the feeling that like NXT is just worried about being NXT. Yes, they're going to put up stuff against mm -hmm. them to compete because they don't want to get blown away. Uh, and they did lose a good bit this week. I think it was like 200,000 views or something viewers. But it's like that's that had to be a troll job because Bischoff really didn't do anything other than just show up for the wild wow factor. And that's just I, I got to assume pissing off Vince McMahon. It would. And as long as it pisses him off to uh, pitch um, better on screen talent and on screen um, entertainment, then I'm all for one it. other thing. I don't know if I deserved it. Like Jack Hager deserves the credit or Jericho, but when they had 
Cassidy knocked him out <laughs> in the corner and they stuck his hand in his pocket and then threw yes, him into Jericho for the Judas. Like, well done. Those are the hilarious. kind of things that I try to tell people. That's the difference in like somebody that really gets wrestling and somebody doesn't. It's the little touches and and that was just beautiful. Okay, and then the main event, which holy crap, what a match. Uh John Maxley mm-hmm. or Maxley. John Moxley took on Darby Allen for the title. Um, they've had a nice little storyline running between the two of them where they were tag partners just a week ago, and I believe it was a tornado match. Uh, and then, you know, they're fighting each other for the belt. MJF found out that if Darby won, you know, obviously he would fight Darby at the pay-per-view, not Moxley, which MJF being the heel that he is, you knew what was coming. It's like, okay, so you're telling me I can take on a guy that's like five nine, 150 pounds over John Moxley? So, during just what is a fantastic match that, honestly, Darby Allen bumped all over that damn mm. inside and outside of the wow. ring. Like, really impressive. Wow. I, I try to tell people, he's the guy I kind of forget about when I talk about their young dudes. He's only 27. He was incredible in that match. His selling, his offensive like moves were believable. The runs he had. Moxley was really good in this match. And, and you know, I've gone back and forth on Moxley and AEW, like whether his matches are better against big guys or little guys. Moxley's so big in the AEW world, I'm starting to think he's better against the smaller, quicker guys because it allows – he looks like a powerhouse, which I'm, I'm not saying Moxley he's a big dude. He knocked my ass out in two seconds. But I'm just saying, you know, in WWE, Moxley wasn't out of this world big compared to the guys he was in the ring with. Moxley is like one of the bigger dudes in AEW. So when he's fighting a guy like Darby – or even when he's going to be in the ring against MJF, he's going to look much bigger. I like the way that worked out. MJF came in, hit him with the belt, and then honestly, like that two count, I thought they were about to give the belt to Darby Allen and literally just explode. And I would have been so proud of AEW because I really think it would make a lot of sense. Moxley would lose the title. Obviously, to no fault of his own, you could find a way to keep him out of the title a little longer. And then I have no doubt that Darby Allen and MJF could have a fantastic match. MJF would look a little bit more intimidating because he's obviously a little bigger than Darby Allen. And then he could beat him. You could even let him beat him clean for the belt. Imagine MJF if he wins the title clean at the pay-per-view in a month. Uh, But anyways, it, it was a great fake out. You can go any like direction you want with this. What was your favorite part? What did you know? Anywhere you want. What did you think about it? Uh, <laughs> it's hard to, to go it, one direction. To put it, it really is like um, the way that Moxley threw him off of the stage and into the post, and the way they just sold it the way that Darby was able to reach that and look like he hit like it was just the coffin amazing drop into the, 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 second co- the second coffin drop into the sleeper hole yes absolutely was so perfect and like I, I was absolutely like you and I have always been high on Darby Allen and to put him in this title picture and for a quick second on that coffin drop like, one. I literally started sit. I literally started sitting up. Like, wait a minute, and like that was the closest two Kudos count I've seen in a long time. Like Moxley waited to the mm. and the ref because the ref let his hand get so close. Like I thought he counted three at first, but then I watched it on replay. He did not. 
but it, it was just an absolutely phenomenal match. I love the the MJF setup. He had had a great promo at his campaign HQ, which was fantastic before the match. The, the lead up to all of this is, is really great. Um, like you, I was also a little worried about about AEW as a whole. Um, their last two shows were totally lackluster. Um, I wasn't really thrilled with uh, Fighter Fest a couple of weeks before mm-hmm. that either. So the fact that they bounced back like this to lead up into their upcoming, um, you know, on on TV pay per view and their big pay per view next month, I'm very excited. Um, oh yeah, also real quickly, kudos to what they did with the Dark Order. This yeah, week. putting them over over the Elite and FTR. Absolutely. The uh, are you surprised that they're already again teasing tension and dissension between Wardlow and MJF? Did you notice that at the very end? No, I didn't. My um, I have to learn to set my uh, DVR to record those extra few minutes after the the hour changes because um, I didn't even get to because I saw that there was a picture of you know Moxley and. Uh, Alan embracing and my DVR cut off with uh, Wardlow and with Wardlow and MJF looking towards yeah looking uh, into this into the ring so I did so not a- see that part. after what Moxley and it needs to be given credit that Moxley put over I thought Darby Allen big time in the ring the way he was hugging him because he was knocked out you know obviously from chokehold and you know just slapping on the chest I, I couldn't tell totally what he's saying but you could tell there were uh, you know words of encouragement. And then they cut to them, and of course, MJF is just going nuts, you know, just being the heel that he is, which is a great one. And he's screaming at Wardlow. Uh, and just, and, and it may have been just the way Wardlow looked, but to me, I got the impression that Wardlow's like, I'm going to knock your little ass out if you don't watch out. And it's been the second time <laughs> I've seen that, in like the last month. And I told you, I think last time we talked about this, I was really surprised they're already kind of, sowing seeds to to them splitting up but maybe it's you know a good long-term booking where they're just going to make it you know get to a point where people actually have sympathy for somebody as big as Wardlow by having this you know tyrant you know this Napoleon character and MJF just constantly bossing around until he snaps yeah um I believe it was uh it was like a pre-match interview was it for a TNT championship shot I think it was before they did that battle mm-hmm. royal uh, a, a while back, and you know he had said something snappy, and then was like, "Oh, just get in, just get in." But Wardlow <laughs> didn't uh, really appreciate the joke. But yeah, I, I'm really digging the the dissension and just waiting for the day that Wardlow actually just presses him over his head, which probably won't be until next year. I, I get such shades of both Sean and Diesel, and also Triple H and Batista with them too. Ooh, good comparison. And I hope that they let it play out that well, because that's two of the more successful ones that we've had of, you know, the the Weasley heel with the, the big bodyguard. Um, so the last thing we want to talk about today, and I'm so glad I finally got you on here to do this, the Ivy Sports uh, group has been doing the GOAT Wrestling Tournament. We had both the Sweet 16 and the Great 8 is finishing – uh, like I said, any hour now, there's only one match that's close, so I don't feel bad pretty much saying it's probably the outcomes that we see. But first, 
In the Sweet 16, Flair, the one seed, beat Sting, the four seed, 51 votes to 12. Austin, the one seed, beat Cena, the four seed, 55 to 9. Hogan, the one seed, beat Edge, the uh, four seed, 50 to 12. The Rock, one seed, defeated Jericho, the four seed, 33 to 5. And then the three seeds just dominated the twos, which, again, this probably is me not doing a great job of seeding them. But you had the Undertaker's the three seed defeating Dusty Rhodes, 38 to 11. The Hot Rod Roddy Piper, the three seed, defeated Bruno, 25 to 13. Brett the Hitman Hart, the three seed, beat Andre the Giant, the two seed, 34 to 19. And then by far the most competitive match, probably of any round, HBK the three seed beat the Macho Man, Randy Savage, 34 to 31. Did any of those stand out to you? Um, none of them stand out. Uh, I'm a little disappointed being one of the only five to, um, give Jericho the nod because I mean, like, don't get me wrong. And I understand that one to a great degree, but it's like what Jericho has done, especially what he's done since AEW and the fact that he was doing it before The Rock had gotten around. All over the world, like, too. Uh, with the success that he's had all over the world to boot, uh, I, it was just upsetting that, lopsided, that it yeah, was no, so lopsided. That. You know, I, I expected The Rock to win. I just expected a little more sympathy for uh, Chris Jericho and a little more sympathy for Dusty as well. Well, I'm going to tell you, and that was kind of my take from the Sweet 16. It shows ageism. And whether you want to call it nostalgia, Mm. whatever, I would be willing to bet a majority of people in the Ivy Sports Group, and I'm talking about 90 to 95%, never saw Bruno Russell. They probably never saw Dusty Russell. And I'm talking about not even live in person. I'm talking about on TV in a live event. And never saw Andre the Giant Russell live. Um... I'll go ahead and tell you, two out of the three, mm. I didn't. Uh, I never saw Andre or Bruno Russell live. I, I loved Andre the Giant when I was like seven, eight years old. Uh, but by that time, he had quit wrestling. And I was basically catching up on it, you know, running like WrestleMania three, WrestleMania four, uh, you know, from Blockbuster. But tell me you got to see the, the that lead up where um, Stud and Bundy uh, did the splash oh, yeah. and cut his hair. Oh, that was great. There's so much good that stuff. So and that's, again, why I love the network. Um, but the – I just I just can't believe that, you know, again, I have no problem with The Undertaker beating Dusty. I, I think Taker has made a very strong case, and RC, I know, would disagree with me, that he, do, he belongs on Mount Rushmore. And it's because I don't think – all four on Mount Rushmore can just be the biggest things in wrestling. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. You know, he was the little guy. He stuck through with WWE and the toughest times they ever went through. And then when they won the war, he became the biggest sell in WWE. And and it was kind of funny because I think I saw RC make this point. Actually, another comment about Piper, and I'm like, well, you hate on Taker about, you know, he never really sold. Taker was the sell for WrestleMania for like 15 years, and he was so big, he didn't even need a fight in the title fight. 
Because they knew, well, if the Taker Street's on the line, that's already one co-main event right there. He closed the show numerous times. Mm -hmm. I, I just, but I still think Dusty should have been closer because he's the American dream. He has arguably definitely a top five all-time promo um, that is still recited by wrestling fans that never really even saw him, walk, you know, wrestle or, or say it, you know, on TV. Um, and then the mm -hmm. Macho Man HBK thing, I go mm. back and forth. And, again, I'm not judging it because I think all of these guys are close enough to where there is no right or wrong answer. You're basically – doing your opinion and that's okay that's kind of what wrestling is i just think that if you're really truly breaking it down the macho man is greater than hbk in every macho single way better. except for in the ring which i will give you hbk is probably the greatest wrestler of all time and this is coming from brett the hitman heart like mark so it kills me <laughs> to say that but mm. It's the freaking Macho Man. I mean, the Macho Man will be remembered forever. And he became more, he, he was more adjacent to the rock with who he was because he was so mainstream. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. sold more than HBK did. The Mega Powers Exploded was one of the biggest storylines ever. And again, HBK was the ever. master of his class. He was an artist he could go in the ring with anybody and you could make a very fair argument that if it wasn't for his back injury and him having to miss i think it was six seven total years whatever it was five six seven years yeah you could probably make the case he's better than macho man but i just don't think you can with all the success macho man had out of the ring uh just the fact that i still it was like the other day the macho man was fighting the ultimate warrior at SummerSlam 92 it was on fox sports i stopped everything i was and watched it my dad, because we were in Montgomery, Alabama, my dad really doesn't care about wrestling. He got so fired up when he saw the Macho Man and started talking about this was when wrestling was wrestling. I'm like, hey, you don't know what wrestling <laughs> was wrestling. But it just proves my point that it's like that's the kind of magnitude and attention the Macho Man gets. And he was way better on the mic. His, his character was so much better. I mean, his attire... You could argue that he started the, the smaller guy or, or, excuse me, what could be considered a great wrestling match with his match at WrestleMania three because it was on such a big stage. It stole the show for Andre and Hogan. I I'm mean, sold. it just goes on and on. And again, I'm not knocking HBK, but I just think Macho Man was better. And to, uh, to put the cherry on the, on the cake, I can't attend any graduation exactly. without the That's a Macho very, Man. very <laughs> fair point because it's true. It's like you hear that and you want to start taking your finger and pointing around and getting your yeah, eyes the, that's going. That's the first thing I want to do. You know, I mean, that's that's the madness. Uh, and it just it was. I finally watched his uh, what do you call it? Dark Side of the Ring with him and Miss Elizabeth uh, mm. last weekend. And it was sad, man. It's like sad to think that guy's been mm -hmm. gone that long because he was still cool. He was bone saw, you know, in Spider-Man right before he like he was still the man. Uh, and I just hate it. I just love to see the macho man now, because uh, especially in that where they showed the promos before he kind of became the macho man. Like it was all a gimmick. And even I didn't totally understand that. But when he first debuted into wrestling, he talked normal. All of that was the character, except for he was really possessive with Miss Elizabeth. That was also true life. <laughs> but 
Again, Very real. <laughs> uh, the other one that kind of bothered me was Piper beating Bruno. I'm sorry. Give me a break. Right. Like, yes. Like, oh, God, yes. Yes, I love you, Roddy. I love you, Roddy. God, I love you, Roddy. But no. Um, 12, 12 years. years as in a 14. Champion, you know, we're talking in, we're talking in an eight-year and four-year block. Stop. Uh, and I heard, you know, RC make the comment. And he always has good points, but he said that, you know, well, back in those days, you had the face and heel, you know, champions, and it was a different philosophy. You're right. But there was still no other occasion of a guy doing it for 12 out of 14 years. That's the way he sold and it literally almost started a riot when he lost the belt after eight years. And, I mean, mm. they didn't even announce the finish over the PA because they were worried the place would burn to the ground. That's how, <laughs> like, angry and upset the people were. And it just – I mean, the big thing is if you watch, they have a documentary on them on uh, the WWE Network. It's really good. I mean, when you hear guys like Triple H, The Undertaker, Vince McMahon, all these people, they just – you know, he, he was kind of the godfather. He's the Babe Ruth of, of wrestling. He, you know, I, I compared him to the Bill mm-hmm. Russell because, again, nobody saw him. And, he, you know, he won all these titles and stuff. And it was a different era. But uh, <laughs> he, he was more like the Babe Ruth because, I mean, they say you ask any wrestler in the 80s and early 90s, they grew up watching Bruno. And that was what kind of got them into wrestling. So the grade eight matchups, and before we give kind of where the voting is, we had the number one seed Flair and the Flair bracket taking on the hot rod, the number three seed Roddy Piper. You had the number one seed Hulk Hogan and the Hogan bracket taking on the number three seed, the Undertaker, the number one seed in the rock bracket, the rock taking on my man, the number three seed, Brett, the Hitman Hart, and then how fitting the number one seed in the Austin bracket was Stone Cold Steve Austin versus the three seed, Shawn Michaels. Did you think there was any chance there would be an upset? Um, not really. The, the one that I thought had the best chance, quite honestly, is the most lopsided one, quite honestly, is the, the HBK Austin. I thought, especially with, um, you know, over Randy Savage in such a close match that there would have been more love for HBK um, in that. So uh, there would have been, that was my only chance of an upset there. But the fact that um, all the one seeds uh, are in the final four is not that big of a surprise. It's not. And again, not to toot my own horn or get a pat on the back, but A, the one through four seeds, so the top 16, all advance to the to basically the Sweet 16, which RC was like, well, that's easy. No, it's not. It's not. There was a plenty of guys on that bubble just outside that could have easily got in there. So that made me feel pretty good. Like Triple H was gone. You know what I'm saying? Like there was guys that, you know, I actually thought there was going to be a few more like sneak in and there wasn't. So that made me feel good. The second thing was the four one seeds all made it basically to the final four. So you have Ric Flair, it just – Poor Roddy Piper. I guess he he had to pay the sins of his upset win over Bruno, in my opinion, because he got to be 51 to three, or that's what it was when we started recording. The Hogan Taker was actually 45 41. So technically, if there's like 10 people out there and seven of them voted for Taker uh, in the time we've been recording before it closes, Undertaker could technically be the upset. I would be so happy. Hulk Hogan is absolutely one of the best four wrestlers of all time. He absolutely belongs on Mount Rushmore, but he's a freaking racist, and I just can't get past it. And I, and I said it in the group. I no. voted against him starting in Sweet 16, and not because I thought Edge was better. 
and not because I thought that, you know, Piper, or, I mean, excuse me, Taker was necessarily better, but I just, I just don't want him, uh, you know, in the final four. The Rock, the number one seed, defeated the Hitman. And I was really impressed with Bret Hart here because I actually thought he was going to lose to Andre, and he won. And then, I mean, 38 mm-hmm. to 18, it's it's not close, but it's closer than I thought That's it was. That's a pretty good right. showing. Like, it was better than HBK and Piper. Now, a lot of it had to do with who they were facing, don't get me wrong. And then Austin, as you said, was defeating HBK 37 to 5. Uh who do you think out of those four? Because we're going to assume Hogan wins. It's Flair, Hogan, Rock, Austin. Who did you think the favorite was before this started, like once the brackets were released? And then has anything changed your mind to where you have a different opinion of who the favorite is? Um, I, I'm still going to – I don't remember how the brackets uh, look side by side, but um, Rock, Austin were my two to watch. Um, and as much as I love Ric Flair, and it kills me because, like you said, Hulk Hogan is a racist. I was a, I was a Hogan guy oh, up until all, the Ultimate Warrior, but one. even but even after the Warrior, it was just like, oh, I guess I'm still a Hogan guy. Fuck. And to find out that he's such a piece and of crap, and he didn't even is, reach out to any of those guys. You know, That's where I really draw a line. Like we all make mistakes. We're all human. But from everything I've heard from the New Day, you know, Booker T, other people, he, he's never even tried to bridge that fence. Mark, Mark Henry. Exactly. Mark yeah. Henry. The, none of those guys he's reached out to. Oh, my God. Did I share did, – did, did, didn't somebody uh, share that meme or maybe I did where it was like when they were all on stage and Booker was uh, yes. just staring yes. a hole through Hogan. It's like, I'm still going to get – <laughs> oh, man. oh man but yeah unfortunately uh Hogan, there's no way that out of these four that hulk hogan actually wins so i i'm still going to stick with it's gonna wind up being the rock I think. okay so i actually thought it was going to be austin when this thing started uh now that would not be my pick if you were asking me who the greatest wrestler of all time it's the nature boy like he just whether you want to go title reigns, whether you want to go, he was fantastic in the ring. Uh, you know, he had, he had everything. everything. I mean, rappers are still rapping about. He, he created honestly a lifestyle, and I'm talking about across. You know, there's kids on Instagram, whether white, black, whatever. That you know, that's what they want to do. They want to drive expensive cars. Football it, exactly. Them. It's like they want to drive expensive cars. They want to, you know. You know, jet flying, limousine riding, the prettiest girls, the nicest shoes. Like, and I mean, really, if you think about it, that all started with him. I don't ever remember anyone talking like that was their gimmick. You know what I'm saying? Like in any kind of entertainment, anything other than maybe you want to say Robin Leach's lifestyle, the rich and famous, you know, and that wasn't really his deal. But that's the nature. Right. Hell, they even they even. On uh, the Nintendo Pro Wrestling game, their champion was Ric Flair. I mean, it didn't say Ric Flair, but yeah, you look at it, it's like that is Ric Flair. Uh, the, the best uh, form of flattery, right, is when you're on an old school 80s or 90s video game. They're not going to pay you. It's like the, uh, and I forget which game it was. It may have been NBA Live or something, but it was 23 on the Bulls. It didn't have a name, and he was all 99s. It's like, hmm, I wonder who mm. that is. 
Uh, <laughs> but I just think Flair is going to win this thing. And the reason for that, I went back and looked at the voting. Flair has consistently got 50 votes or more in every round. Nobody else has came close. Oh, wow. Well, actually, I tell you that Austin has came close. But even Austin's had a couple. Like I said, he's got 37 votes right now in the final round. Flair's got 51 in the most recent one, excuse me, in the grade A. But it is great, and I did do this on purpose. You have a Flair Hogan matchup in the final four, an Austin Rock. I mean, <laughs> this stuff kind of writes itself. You have, you know, the two biggest rivals who did fight on a consistent basis uh, in the 90s. And then you had the two biggest guys uh, in the 80s and early 90s who honestly probably deserve the most credit for where wrestling is today. No offense to Stone Cold and The Rock. I know they took it to that next level, but you can't tell me without Hogan and Flair, there would be no Stone Cold and Rock. Like, there just wouldn't. Uh, that You know, that's, that's the two matchups. I just, every time I see Flair and Hogan paired up in anything, I just go, Vince McMahon has done a lot of amazing things. He's done a lot of dumb things. The dumbest was WrestleMania 8. You had it. You had Flair versus Hogan. They did some house shows, and it supposedly they didn't get the pop they wanted, and they probably were in, like, Idaho or, you know, wherever they do these little house shows. <laughs> Dude, you had to give that. Just if nothing else to wrestling fans. And instead, you had the Sid Justice versus Hogan, mm. Macho Man yeah. Flair, which the Macho Man Flair match was great to build up all that. Yeah. But it should have been Flair Hogan. And, like, by the time they did it in WCW, it just – it wasn't the same. They both were old. They both were kind of – you know, at that point, I think Flair was starting to lose his confidence, and Hogan was starting to get older and wasn't as good in the ring. And it just – God, it would have been so great in 92. Man, and that would have been the perfect time to do oh, it, yeah. Because Flair was great in WWE that first time. Uh, just oh, God, absolutely yeah. great. Uh, I mean, his Royal Rumble performance is still – that's one of my favorite pay-per-views ever. One of the ever. top performances. It's awesome. I mean, it's just it's – a, it's a great performance because he was Ric Flair for, I think, an hour or whatever it was. Maybe it was just underneath it. I think he went in third, you know, with the robe. Uh, and that was the other thing I loved about watching that SummerSlam 92 the other day was during the Macho Warrior match, of course, Flair and Henning come out. And I just loved that Flair is like, you know – He's he's he lives the gimmick. He's out there in that black, you know, feathery <laughs> robe just to make a run in. It's like what other guy would do that? So, is there anything else about the tournament or the week of wrestling you want to talk about uh, before we get out of here? Uh, nothing that we need to get into in depth. I, I know that we're going to be uh, touching on the NXT North American title uh, picture. Uh, going forward so that should be pretty exciting to talk about um very just like we touched about earlier very happy to see that they're still going very strong with the dark order and Brody lee and that they are not dropping the ball on that so i'm very happy about that as well real quick before we get out because you brought that up do you think that that was another tease or hint to the potential Omega Hangman split, the way that finished with Omega getting grabbed out of the ring as he was trying to make the save, and then Hangman taking a hell of a clothesline to take the pin. Uh, I think so. Um, there's all these little. I love how they had you know Kenny being kind of the bad guy and attacking a guy after the match a couple of weeks ago, and they're, they're getting the seeds of dissent going again where. This time around, it's really like I like the slow play. Like, listen, now we really have no excuse to uh, complain at all, I guess, 
now that you know with the, the way they've done the Sasha Bailey thing and they slow burn that like a mother hunter they can slow play anybody else you know everybody else is free reign to just slow play uh, however you're going to do it and just just make it intriguing yeah and I mean it was kind of like what I was saying about the stuff that happened you know on WWE with the underground and the faction uh and RC told us because I, I said a couple of times that I thought I disagreed with RC for his opinions, and it's not fair really because he's not here. But I will say that he was saying from the get go they were doing the right thing with the Sasha Bailey feud, and he's right. I mean, it's just gotten yep. better and better and better, and it's one of those deals that they're doing it under really difficult circumstances with with obviously everything going on, and on top of that, uh, I just man, it, it's becoming one of the better like feuds i can remember Best because the yeah action. because they, i mean you got to think about the acts it's really well done you had the, obviously the nxt deal uh and then they're you know best friends and they got separated not because of storyline just because they're on different shows and then since they've been back together you know they've been a unit and then they've just been slowly building it and i mean i just have no doubt it's going to be amazing when they split but again i will say it one more time if you turn bailey face uh and the like the midst of just this heel run and how fantastic she is, I'm gonna scream. I'd rather them keep them both heel <laughs> if that's what you know they want to keep Sasha heel because uh, Bailey does not need to be a face. She has proven, and it was a great point by Sam on the last podcast that who would have ever thought you could say Bailey's a better heel than face? Uh, you know, like three four years ago when she was the hugger and and everything. Mm-hmm. It just it, it you would have seemed crazy to say it. So. Uh, kudos to them. Do you got anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, just my usual, uh, harvestcreditors.com. Uh, 20, we're still aiming at 20,000 uh, families in 20,000 homes. Got anything negative on your credit report? You just want to get your credit score up. Get at me, Ronell Tinsley on Facebook, uh, official Ronell Tinsley on Instagram. Let's talk. Awesome. Uh, just a few things you want to be sure if you are not in the team turnbuckle, Facebook group and you're listening to this podcast, what are you doing? Uh, just let us know if you're not in the IV sports group. Uh, Ron L just gave you a few ways to reach out to him. If you will let us know and you're on Facebook, we will get you in the group without a problem. We would appreciate it. It's, it's all wrestling oh, all the time. Times. It's a lot of fun. Like it really is. The, the guys Both in there groups. are great, honestly. IV sports, same thing. Uh, and then also just again, the IV sports podcast feed. There's been a bunch of stuff coming out this week. Uh, myself and Alan did a two off the, or excuse me, two off the two. Goodness gracious, a backdoor cover podcast, our gambling podcast. It was a complete PGA Championship preview. Uh, we discussed the field, the venue, who we liked. That went up Monday, uh, Tuesday. The NBA show went up with Alan and Corey. They discussed Luca, the the Rockets, all, all kinds of good storylines. Uh, and then obviously we will try to do another podcast, maybe just a little bit more in depth on the goat wrestler tournament. Cause we've been trying to do one of those each week. Uh, and you know, finally, I just want to say, Ron, it's good to have you back. I know you've been busy with work. I totally get it. We all have good to be back. You know, we got to work to unfortunately pay the bills. This doesn't do that, but I'm glad to have you on here and glad to be talking wrestling again. And I'm glad to be talking wrestling with you. And actually, I'm looking forward to the time where I can actually be on with Sam because, uh, Sam, I just wanted to shout you out, man. You've been doing a great job on both the Goat Wrestler Tournament and helping uh, fill in. You know, I, I, you, you and I would have a lot, just as much fun. Uh, you guys sound great on here. Um, He's a freaking encyclopedia. Yeah. 
the punk episode was amazing. Um, so yeah, I would love to just get on here and chop it up with you guys, with the both of you, because Sam, you were you were fantastic. Thank you, sir. Well, we're going to try to get that schedule set up. Uh, I know weekends have been tough for you. That's what's best for him. Honestly, it's been a little better for me too. But we will figure it out. But I really am glad to have you back on. I've missed you the last couple of weeks, and uh, this has been a too, another edition of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast on the Ivy Sports Podcast Network. And we will be back soon. See you.